time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Tuesday, July 14th, 2020. Happy Tuesday to everyone out there. Rolling right along as we always do here on the Get Home Safe podcast. Great show ahead for you today. We have on the program Shalimar Jackson. He was a football official that I had the privilege to work with uh, quite a few years ago now, come to think of it. Uh, We were, well, I was new anyway to the college football officiating scene. And we had an opportunity to work together on a crew, some really good times, a lot of personalities on that crew. I could tell you that. And uh, guys from all over uh, different backgrounds, different cities, different parts of the state of California, just a great time. Uh, You know, it was was one of my first experiences in learning to uh, work on a crew. My early crew days, I was with guys that I didn't really like. This was the first time I really had a great opportunity to work with some fun guys. And Shalimar was a big part of that. He was a little, little new to the officiating world himself, but really good official. He was, he worked the umpire position, which is the guy in the middle of the field, basically who stands there with the linebackers and such on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, So he was definitely a uh, force to be reckoned with when he was in there. Uh, you know, I'm not a very tall guy. Shalimar was a very big guy. He actually played Division One college football at New Mexico State. We'll talk about that a little bit and him transitioning to becoming a football official. Neither of us work football currently, but, you know, we both kind of keep the door open a little bit just to see maybe down the road if there are some more opportunities or if, uh, you know, we should dive back into it. But we uh, had a great time. We've been uh, good friends. Haven't talked a whole lot. Uh, over the years, but uh, Shalimar lived down in the San Diego area. So anytime I worked baseball down there, college baseball at the different universities, I would uh, usually hit him up, stay with him for a night or two. And uh, he was always gracious to, uh, you know, have me uh, stay with him. So a big many thanks to him over the years for letting me stay with him, saved me a little bit of money when I was commuting, going back and forth from San Diego and such. And plus we had some good times. We had some good times, uh, you know, grabbing dinner, grabbing whatever drinks and, and different things and just hanging out. Just, uh, it was a fun experiences. So uh, looking forward to you guys hearing that interview coming up here shortly. And, and I'll say this with, with Shalimar, you know, I asked Shalimar some, some uh, very specific questions and he gave me some very honest answers of, of his opinions and how, you know, he feels about a lot of current events, and I have tremendous respect for that. I have tremendous respect for anyone who speaks their their mind and how they feel about uh, the things right now because there's a lot of crazy things going on in the world right now, and we need to hear everybody out. We don't have to agree with everybody. I didn't agree with everything he said. I, I did agree with some of the things he said. So I think it goes to show that, you know, we have friends, we have colleagues, we have uh, even family members in this uh, in in our walk of life that we may not agree with on things, but there's no reason we can't uh, get along, and we have to be ugly uh, with each other. You know, I've I've lost a few friendships over the years, uh, and I don't even know why. Really, some of the sometimes social media is a dangerous place. Uh, Shalom, that was one thing Shalomar told me about 
uh, Facebook. He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't go on there. And I said, man, I'm, I'm right behind you. <laughs> I should probably do the same. So uh, anyway, some interesting conversation. Uh, definitely uh, check it out here. Yeah, upcoming very shortly. I will say Shalimar also currently works in the San Diego County jails for the sheriff's department. He worked in child protective protective services before that. So he has some experience uh, to talk about in those regards. So uh, again, a lot of information and it all started just because we worked some football games together at the college level, not too long ago, but it's uh, starting to be uh, further away now here as uh, years uh, continue to carry on, man. I I can't believe how much time flies. Well, there were two uh, random thoughts I have this morning and I will tell you this, (laughs) we get, it's funny the things we get used to. Uh, Valerie, uh, my girlfriend lives here and, and we've had some uh, good times just being around each other all the time. And, uh, you know, we don't, again, her and I don't agree on a lot of things, but you know what? We, there's, we hardly ever fight. We hardly ever have uh, big blowups or anything. I think we each know where we stand on certain things. Um, especially in, in lieu of, you know, maybe current events or, uh, just some things that have been going on the past couple of years. And there's a mutual respect there. I mean, it's somebody that that I love tremendously, and I know she feels the same way. And again, it's it's not about uh, who's right, who's wrong. It's just different opinions, different walks of life. And so uh, that's she's one of the the most important people in my life, and she's someone I disagree with on a lot of things. But but we we're fine. There's there's no issues. I, I would say we. We go about our lives, and uh, like I said, there's hardly ever any conflict. And when there is, it's usually over and done with pretty quick. So I'll, I'll say this about Val. She went out of town uh, Sunday, actually. We had some friends over uh, Saturday. If you guys tuned into yesterday's episode with Trevor Lynn, uh, we talked about hockey and the Coast Guard and comedy. Great interview. If you hadn't had a chance, go check that out. But uh, one thing, or I should say Trevor and I recorded on Sunday and Val went to go see a friend on Sunday. She was gone for a few days for her friend's birthday party. Well, Sunday night rolled around and Val was gone. And, you know, we usually watch something together or uh, Netflix or have a show or something. And uh, I, I was laying there. I was like, man, it's Sunday. It was kind of a letdown after all the fights from UFC and everything. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, yeah, hey, what am I going to do? I started kind of doing some business on my phone working on the podcast stuff here and there. And I went in the room and I, and I put on uh, TV, it was scrolling through things. And uh, what was it? It was like, st- it was a stars channel or showtime. One of those two. And the movie RoboCop was on the original, the OG. So I was like, oh, I haven't seen this in a while. And it was, you know, the unedited version and everything. So I was like, well, let's check this out. And I, I kind of finished up what I was doing and I was sitting there and I watched uh, RoboCop, the original 1987. I can't believe it. Can't believe I was two years old when that movie came out. It's not any kind of uh, amazing cinematic uh, great movie or anything, but I'll tell you this: looking back, I was like, it, it was uh, you know very violent, <laughs> very violent movie, and it was like this uh, parody kind of on uh, future the futuristic outlook, I guess, from people in the eighties. And it was funny to see that some of the things they uh, they were wrong about and some of the things they were right about, but. It's just the outlook of how things, uh, what people in the 80s thought down the road would look like, right? Uh, You see that in a few different movies. And then uh, anyway, the movie went on, uh, you know, police officer gets killed and he comes back as a RoboCop. And uh, anyway, it's not not a great plot or anything, but I'll, I'll leave it there. Anyway, the reason I'm telling you this is 
So RoboCop 1 ended. I was just sitting there. Uh, my roommates were doing something else. Val was out of town, and I was like, oh, RoboCop 2 is on next. So it came on, and I sat there, and I was watching RoboCop 2 and kind of not paying attention, but then paying more attention. And again, not an amazing script by any means, not anything to write home about, but I'm sitting there, and I even texted Val because uh, she was like, hey, what are you doing? I said, well, um, <laughs> I watched. I just got done watching RoboCop 1, and I'm halfway through RoboCop 2, and she kind of laughed. And then, wouldn't you know it, after RoboCop 2, RoboCop 3 is on. And I go, well, Sunday night, I got nothing going on. <laughs> Why not go for the trifecta? So, yes, uh, bored by myself on a Sunday night, I watched all three RoboCop movies in a row. Uh, I'm not proud of it. I re I'm really not. This is a new low for the quarantine lockdown life. And I know Sundays are typically lazy and we don't do much. Uh, however, it was definitely odd saying to myself, you know what? I just sat and watched all three RoboCop movies and they are not great movies. And I'm not even a huge fan of the films, uh, but I like them a little bit. Anyway, it took me back a little bit to my younger days and such. So I said, man, uh, that, that's brutal, man. That is just brutal <laughs> that I did that. I, I called Val today. I said, hey, you being gone, I don't know. Uh, you being gone, I've turned into this uh, boring person who watches uh, three bad movies in a row. So uh, <laughs> have a good time, though. So anyway, I thought I'd share that with you guys. Robocop, all three of them, mind you. Uh, I, oh man. Anyway, I don't know what's on deck for, uh, for tonight. We'll see what happens. But, uh, another funny thing on Saturday, Val was on this podcast, uh, with these other bagpipers. These two guys run this bagpiping podcast and she has her own podcast as well. As far as bag bagpipes go, and they wanted to have her on as a guest. So she was on as a guest recording with them and everything. I come upstairs to bring her a drink or something. And, uh, up here in our studio, we have this little loft area and an extra room that we've kind of made into our studio. We got our extra microphone hanging out here. I mean, it's a good little setup now. And anyway, I walk in and she's got the laptop screen and the two guys are on the screen there and she's got her headphones on and the microphone and everything. And it's like this, this, uh, I don't know, this, uh, <laughs> this conversation going on, just a podcast. But what I was in shock about, I go, wait a minute. I've owned this laptop over 10 years. I swear it's old. It's a, it's a windows. It's, it's not anything fancy. Let me tell you, but I had no idea. And I mean this, I had, I, this is how bad tech tech wise I am guys. I had absolutely no idea that there was a camera on my laptop. Had no idea. Didn't know uh, that it was staring at me the whole time was always asking myself, how do people get those, uh, you know, those podcasts or those videos? They must have one of those uh, newer models of laptops or uh, I don't know. I don't, again, I don't know anything about this stuff. And, I, and I'm looking and I'm looking straight ahead where the camera is. There's a green light on. And I say, oh, that's what that little circle is. Cause it doesn't like look like a camera necessarily. So I was pretty embarrassed. And I said, how'd you do that? How'd you get, she's like, oh, you just download Skype or whatever it was. And so I was all mad at myself, but it got me to thinking that maybe uh, we could do some YouTube videos or something. So we'll see what happens. There's going to be some some changes here in the near future, I think. But again, I'm just learning things uh, as I go. And that was definitely something I learned. Uh, <laughs> wasn't planned by any means because I was pretty embarrassed. I go, I've had this laptop and I had no idea it had the capability to have a camera 
uh, access to do a video and it's staring right back at me right now. I'm staring right at it. And just, uh, it's funny, man, the things you learn sometimes, the things uh, are staring you right in the face and you don't even know it. And yeah, that's how uh, oblivious I am. And as a former football official, uh, current or current uh, former uh, umpire, I mean, that just says a lot about my abilities and my talents, right? Not only do I wear contacts, but uh, when things are five feet from me or less, I I can't seem to uh, see that they're there for many, many years. So that's how the last few days have gone for me, guys. I'm a little fired up right now, a little full of energy and like, man, well, let's get to some fun podcasting this week and, and vent some of my thoughts and frustrations and completely random thoughts that I don't know if you guys will find humorous uh, or not, but I thought I would share with you because he's just painting the picture of the type of lunatic that is on this side of the microphone. Uh, man, I, so I'm, I'm just venting away and uh, telling you my story as I go, if you will. So anyway, with that being said this morning, let's dive into the inter- interview with uh, Shalimar Jackson. It was a lot of fun. I definitely want you guys to hear this. And again, there's some uh, there's some fun talks topics about football and memory lane. And his kids are amazingly uh, talented and growing so fast. They're great athletes, great musicians, much like their dad. Uh, and anyway, we'll talk about them. We'll talk about football. We'll talk about a lot of things. We're also going to talk about some uh, some very real stuff, some some serious uh, topics, and some. Uh, about current events and some of the things going on. And again, uh, it's not necessarily stuff we all completely agree on 100%, but who does these days, right? It's about finding common ground, hearing everybody out, people who listen to this show. I think you know kind of where I stand on things, but at the same time, I think some people would be surprised on where I stand on other things. So anyway, uh, we bring different people on here to talk about different subjects and different opinions and a wide variety of topics from a wide variety of people. As I mentioned, of, of meeting Shalimar, being on a football crew, it was seven different guys from very uh, different corners of uh, California and different areas, different backgrounds. And the best part of that was that we were able to come together from our various backgrounds and work together for a common job because at the end of the day, those teams didn't care about uh, where we were from or who our friends were off the field, any of that stuff. It was like, are you guys working hard to get calls right for the game? They see it at times as, oh, right for us. Get it right for us. Well, uh, you know, we're the impartial judges out there, and we did our very best, and I can promise you this. Uh, we had a great time. We had an excellent time, and Shalimar will tell you about all that too. So I, I, if, if I was to work another football game, he would be a guy uh, I would want on the crew. If I could handpick my crew tomorrow, uh, Shalimar would be the guy I'd want in the middle. Uh, the middle of kind of run, running the show for us, uh, keeping uh, keeping the uh, the players uh, from fighting, and uh, keep you know keeping them separated, and and just being uh, the enforcer that he was. So let's get right to his interview. We'll take a quick break, quick break, and get right to our interview with Shalimar Jackson. <laughs> Okay, joining me today is a real good friend. 
He is Shalimar Jackson. He lives down in San Diego. Uh, he's from that area, spent some time playing college football at New Mexico State, played a little bit of professional football, and also is an officiating colleague of mine. We had the opportunity to work together a couple different levels of college football. Just an absolute blast to work with him on the field. Uh, we'll talk about all of that real soon. He, he's a, he got into – uh, Child Protective Services, he worked as a supervisor for a while. He's now transitioned into the San Diego County Sheriff's Department as a re-entry supervisor. We will, again, tell you about all of that stuff. But let me first welcome him to the program, Shalimar Jackson. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome to the show. My guy, my guy, what's going on, Matt? <laughs> Not a whole lot, man. It's great to hear from you. We haven't talked or seen each other Man, it's in at least five years, I want to say. Oh, it's been a while. It's been some time. I remember <laughs> you used to come down and uh, stay on my couch during Carlsbad when you had baseball games. Oh, man, absolutely. Those were good times and, uh, you know, a better price than a, than a hotel. And every time I worked down in San Diego, you, you were my guy at contact. And, uh, yes, you were gracious enough to let me stay with you many times. Oh, man, no problems, no problems, always. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shalomar, how are things going, man? I mean, are you the past few months we've been in this this COVID lockdown? Uh, you know, things have been different for so many people out there. And uh, I mean, what's it been like for you? Is it affected uh, your daily life like it has in so many other people? I mean, just kind of what are your general thoughts with this this crazy time we're living in in twenty twenty? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I'm not I'm not immune um, to this COVID nineteen. Um, it is really has been a depressive state initially, um, being a part of athletics for maybe the last 30 years of my life. And then for it to abruptly come to a stop, whether it was playing, coaching or officiating or doing something around a sport. Um, but now I've, I've spent my free time, uh, actually woodworking. Um, I, I, I do a lot of that now, so it's a lot of fun some of your your latest projects you've been doing um actually i just made a succulent table um it's, uh, and i made a, a actually some outdoor patio furniture um you know a complete set as well as uh the table is a succulent table it's actually a patio table outside with uh down the middle is uh you know planted succulent so it's, it's actually really nice um <laughs> it's, it's, you know it's pretty cool Oh, dude, that that's uh, that's awesome stuff. I mean, you are you are a true artist, man. Uh, <laughs> many talent, a man of many talents. I'll say that. We'll definitely we'll talk on a, a on a few of your talents for sure. Uh, Shalomar, you grew up in Southeast San Diego. Oh, you okay over there? Oh yes, sir. I'm okay. Here you great. <laughs> yeah, little little noise there. Okay, you know, Shalomar, you grew up in Southeast San Diego. You played football at Morris High School. But you also played uh, some saxophone at, at a performing arts high school. So tell me about the balance there as a young man being in San Diego, loving football, but also loving music. I mean, those two don't have to be uh, separate uh, things, but, but, you know, those are tough to, to both do at a high level. Uh, it, it was actually a blast. Um, I can honestly say um, I didn't have – I had more passion for athletics than I did really for – the music, music was just maybe something that um, gave me an outlet and an opportunity um, to be in a, a different space. 
um, I guess that allowed me to be who I was. And um, athletics gave me an opportunity, you know, to uh, go through college and meet a lot of different people and uh, propel through life. So they they, they both kind of went hand in hand for me, um, ironically. So um, I wouldn't trade it or go back and do anything differently. Well, you know, I want to talk about that for a second. I mean, doing sports, doing uh, music, you know, there's no reason that you can't do both of those. It can be hard, but I think it's part of being well-rounded, Shalimar, and that, you know, a lot of kids these days, they want to just focus on one sport or one thing. And I know that like you with your kids, for instance, they, they are some very talented musicians. They are uh, violinists, but they also play basketball. You know, you're, 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 uh, oldest daughter kelly she has her own youtube channel with music and your son carter he's growing fast uh, you told me he's six feet tall he's playing basketball baseball and playing the violin so you got some real talented kids and i think uh, other parents could really learn from some of the well-roundedness it is that you know kids are uh, like with your kids for instance because so many other kids these days just want to focus on one thing and it's like man come on you're young why don't you try a bunch of things I mean, that's that's my honest opinion. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with uh, experience and my own opportunities that I've had. Um, that you don't need to be the, the absolute best athlete right now. You know, I don't believe that you need to peak at 12, 13 years old. I think the most important thing is that you need to find a love for what you enjoy doing. And once you do that, when you're capable of making adult decisions, that's when you can concentrate on what you choose to concentrate. Um, but I think as a parent, um, it's, it's our job to explore a lot of different options to where uh, my son actually at 13, um, he just got his first boat, um, a 25 foot sailboat. So, I mean, he's also into sailing. Um, now that coronavirus is in and we can't, you know, do sports, he's also been sailing for the last year. He's like, hey, I want to oh. do it um, now a lot. So we went ahead and got him his own boat um, before most kids get their own cars. Uh, he has his own boat. So, I mean, I don't have a boat. It's his, you know. And so I think it's important uh, for parents to uh, really allow their kids to explore and um and find a way to support their, 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 their you know, their, their exploration when they, they like to explore and try new things. Because, I mean, like you said, you're only young once, um, and, and it's, it's fun. I mean, you can do it with them. So, so now with, with, the, with them growing up, Shalimar, I mean, was there any, uh, was there any, how do I say this? Not pressure, but like with your kids, do you tell your kids, hey, if you're going to start something, you're going to finish it. Absolutely. Or was there pressure to tell them, hey, I want you to do something in music and to play sports? Or did they kind of develop those decisions on your own? Because some parents, I mean, they're very, uh, they're very in your face. They want to control what their kids do. And like you said, I mean, did he come up with sailing on his own? I mean, Ed, the, these, are, these are some of the questions I think uh, more and more parents could, uh, could, could learn from, I guess. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do, how do you direct with your kids? Do you let them kind of go on their journey or do you kind of direct them uh, a certain direction? I mean, it, 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 it's uh, my grandmother always had a, a saying, uh, show me who your friends are and that'll tell me who you are. 
Um, oh, so that, 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 that's one thing. The second thing is that when your kids ask questions, you got to be their teacher before their friends and the community and the world be their teacher. So when, when kids want to be introduced to things and they're interested, I think you have them be, you know, they research it and, and really dive in. And if they're willing to do the work on something, that shows you their interest. If they don't want to do the work, I mean, I don't think you do the work for them. So as parents, we've always taken the approach. If our children ask for something and they're adamant, we're going to support it um, regardless of what it is. So my youngest, I mean, my oldest, Kelly, she's now 15. She's turning 16 in December. She's been playing violin since she was five years old. Um, but she asked to play a violin for the first time at three and a half. Um, and... Oh as parents we kind of just like we didn't really blow it off but we gave her an acoustic guitar at four for christmas um and it, and it didn't do it and she continued to ask and said no i want to play a violin so the following year for her birthday um she got a violin for her birthday um at five years old and, and she's been playing um violin ever since and as for my son um he would walk around the house from, you know, he's two years younger. So he was maybe three years old when she started playing. And when he can, you know, from, from three to maybe five years old, he would walk around telling her when her violin was out of tune just by <laughs> ear, you know, saying, you know, you need to tune your violin. It's off. And, you know, would laugh and run around the house, but, we knew, and I would say, oh, he just has a good musical ear because her violin would really be off. So when he turned six years old, we just gave him a violin by default. So um, my son doesn't necessarily have the drive that my daughter have or love to play, but he has the discipline to continue oh. playing. So it's, it's it's a big difference. I mean, he he can play any music, and um, he's been playing since he was six, and she's been playing since he was five. So um, I I just you know I I just think and it's like you said, it's the balance is hard. Uh, but uh, my kids are homeschooled, so that's also another way that parents can find time to you know put things in place because there's a lot of you know, I don't want to call it wasted time, but yeah, wasted time in traditional school. Well, with the COVID lockdown, you know, a lot of kids uh, had to learn how to be homeschooled and parents too, they had to deal with it. So it sounds like you had kind of the the advantage there amongst all that in the sense that you were, uh, you know, ahead of the game, if you will, and, and them doing that. Have they always enjoyed being homeschooled or have has it been something they grew into? You know, it's all they've ever known. So, yes, they've always enjoyed it. So it wasn't um, like, you know, a transition. Um, my daughter, this was her first year transitioning to high school um, in ninth grade. So and at the end of the year, obviously, COVID hit um, towards the end of the year. And they had to finish the school year at home, um, homeschool. And that transition was seamless for her because she's always been homeschooled her whole life to where it was difficult for a lot of her friends not mm. having an interaction or being at school every day or knowing how to structure their day or having that discipline of, or completing each assignment or each, you know, class um, throughout the day. So it, like that, I, I really feel for some of the parents mm. learning how to homeschool 
um, during this time, you know, this pandemic. But for us and our family, um, that has been seamless. Oh, well, that's that's good to hear. And, you know, I, I think whatever direction they end up going, especially in their later high school years or in college, they're going to be very successful. It seems like they got a great drive. Uh, you're you got some uh, great guidance there with them. And I think they're in good hands and they just sound like very motivated. That's that's really great stuff, Shalimar, and, and refreshing to hear because so many kids are going in the wrong direction these days or don't have the proper guidance. And, and so that that uh, can be frustrating at times. So it's very refreshing to hear about some uh, more successful stories, I guess. I mean, I appreciate that. You know, and I, I think every family has their struggles or uh, their issues, but I just think it's uh, the most important thing is uh, always be willing to communicate and put it out there. Um, people, you know, in the shared society, everybody want to put all their success um, on Facebook and some people put only their failures, but you have to be willing to, you know, share both. And I'm not oh, a yeah. Facebook or a, I don't have the, I'm not into social media, but what I mean is that, you know, when you share information with grandparents or family and friends, um, it's important to, you know, put some dents always in everyone in your own shiny armor. Um, and I'm not just talking about always blasting out others or your children, but your own failures. So that's important. Um, I think in raising your children, letting them know that you make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, so. that's really that's well said, man. And like I said, they're they're gonna they're gonna do great things. I I just know it. Uh, well, well, Shalimar, after you your high school days and uh, you know playing the saxophone and playing football, you talked about it already. But you ended up going to New Mexico State to play Division One football. You were an offensive lineman. Uh, a guard, if you will, an offensive guard, and you finished, uh, you were a finalist for the Outland Trophy uh, one of those years, and, you know, for those who don't know, that's the nation's top offensive lineman. You finished in the top 10, so that's something to be proud of, and what can you tell me about your experience playing college football at New Mexico State? Uh, That was a blast. I I went there in 1998, left in 02. I had a redshirt year. Um, and I had a lot to learn. Um, I think I was, uh, young coming out. I got to college at 17, so I needed that redshirt year, um, to get under my belt. But after that, uh, New Mexico State was really good to me, helped me mature, had a lot of good friends, um, from that university to where we have a business today together. Um, I, I couldn't say enough great things about New Mexico State. That's, uh, that's pretty cool stuff. And, and I mean, you know, you come from a you come from a great area like San Diego and then you go you go to Las Cruces, New Mexico. I, I, I've been there uh, to work some baseball. And, you know, it's I'll, I'll say this. It's a very different atmosphere than San Diego. So what was that adjustment like in going to Las Cruces? Oh, it was absolutely terrible. Uh, it was probably <laughs> one of the worst places you could send a kid from San Diego who had never been to the desert or to a place that's really underdeveloped um, back in 1998. Um, so it was terrible. Um, I wanted to leave. I didn't like it. Um, but one of the most important things I was told is that uh, you gave a person your word, so you got to finish it out. So that I, I buckled down, and I'm glad I did that, and I was given that advice. And I, uh, I, I'm so happy that I finished it. Oh, that, that's that's great stuff. I wish more people would uh, take that approach. You see so many transfers and, and people just walking away from uh, football and opportunities these days. And uh, I guess one final thing with it, I mean, what what was 
do you have a significant memory from playing football there? It could be a game, a bowl game, a win over a rival, or was kind of finishing in the top 10 of the Outland Trophy uh, voting kind of kind of your big moment while you were there? Actually, no. Uh, no individual accolades were like kind of no big moments for me, honestly. Uh, big moment, the biggest moment for me in, uh, at New Mexico State was our senior year going undefeated at home. Um, that was probably the best accomplishment. I think we could have had as a team uh, of going undefeated at home our senior year and not losing a game at home and playing for the conference championship that year. But um, that was probably our biggest accomplishment in mine as well. I was a part of that. You know, it's interesting when you when you hear people talk about their their playing days. It's usually for people I know their their high school days. But it's interesting that it's it's very similar conversation about guys who played at higher levels, played in college played, uh, you know, wherever. And, and it's just some of those things never leave you. You talked about the relationships you made while at New Mexico State and playing football at a pretty high level. I mean, that, that's got to be stuff that you just take with you forever and, and memories that uh, – does it still feel like it was yesterday you were playing ball? Oh, man, you know, always in, in your mind you think – I mean, how do I say this? If you ask me if I can get out there and play with those young kids today, oh, you betcha. But I know better. I, I am very smart to know that those boys would hurt me <laughs> in today's game. Even though, you know, I still work out. I still, you know, I still think I'm pretty fit. But I understand the type of work that I put in to play at that level. And it's, it's, it's not even comparable to the average human being. So, I mean, I, I understand it completely. Well, dude, you got a big – I mean, you're a big guy. You're a big frame, 6'4". Uh, what was your playing weight at, at, at New Mexico State? I know, uh, like you just mentioned, you know, you're, you're in good shape. You're not, you're not a heavy dude by any means. But I'm sure as an offensive lineman playing Division One football, your weight is a lot different than maybe it, was, than it is today, right? Um, I, would, I would – yeah, a lot different. Um, that's, that's funny you say that. I would try to start the season at 315. Because uh, I knew toward the end of the season I'll be about 305, um, between 305 and 310, um, trying to maintain that weight, but uh, and um, in a healthy way without you know going too far up or too far down. So um, yeah, playing weight I was always around. I mean that's you know in my upper years, my junior and senior years, what I'm talking about. My my earlier years I had no idea how to do that, you know. Um, but when I when I, I really learned how to um, work my body in a way to play ball, my playing weight was 305, 315 between there. And so, yeah, and currently I'm around about uh, 255, 260 um, today. Well, 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 you know, when you're college athletes, professional athletes, you know, they're managing their bodies is, a, is a, such an important thing. And it, it's interesting to me just the, all the nutrition and the different fitness guidelines that uh, opportunities and such that are there. I mean, after, after college, you played a little bit in the Arena League. You played for the Richmond Speed. Uh, you had a, a brief stint in the Baltimore Ravens training camp. But eventually you moved on from football and was that a hard thing to do? Was that hard? It's hard for everyone to walk away, whether it's high school or college or whatever. But to walk away after playing for so long, I mean, what, what was that whole process like for you? Was it easy or was it just this, you know what, I got to move on with something else in my life? Oh, man, the tough guy in me want to tell you like, oh, man, that was super easy. I walked away. No problem, brother. Nah, but it was very depressive uh, to walk away from football and to be done with football and 
I honestly chose to walk away and I, I knew I was done and it was actually mid season. Um, and I was a starter, um, had a great time playing, scored a few touchdowns. Um, but I, I just knew in my heart, I, I didn't enjoy it anymore. And I, I was, I was done, um, for whatever reasons. And I walked away and it was very depressive because, um, when, when you've played for so long and you wake up and you just train to play and you study to play and you eat to play and you work out to play, um, you have to figure out what you're going to do with life now. Like now, what are you going to do and how are you going to do that? And now how are you going to train at a different profession? And are you even capable of competing, you know, in, in the professional world because everyone's a better athlete than you because they've been doing it longer. And that's how athletes look at moving from athletics to the professional sector is if you would have stepped on the football field with me for the first time, I would have crushed you. No question. So me stepping into the professional world for the first time, and you've been there fresh out of college, it's that intimidation that I'm going to get crushed. I don't know what I'm doing. So it's like, it, it has a huge intimidation, a huge depressive factor in that transition. Um, and when you do, but when you find your niche, um, I think it's important. And for me, um, that transition was, um, <clears throat> I don't want to say it was easy. It was uh, my ex-wife. I moved back to uh, Farmington, New Mexico um, from Richmond, Virginia. That was northern New Mexico. And I was spending every day in the house all day waiting on her to come home from work for about a month. And I was so excited when she would come home. And one day... And one day she said, I think you need to find something to do. Um, go volunteer somewhere. And so I was like, you know what? That's a good idea. I mean, I don't really need a job. I got money. And really, I was, it's not that I didn't need a job. I was just intimidated if I wanted to go try to get a job. And so because I, I had money from playing ball saved up, so I wasn't concerned about finances. Um, so I, I, I went up to the local high school that was in northern New Mexico, and I walked in the football office, and I said, hey, uh, may I see the f head football coach? And I, I found a guy, and uh, <clears throat> and his name was Frank Whalen, and he was the assistant football coach. And he said, uh, Jared's not in, who was the head coach, and he said, but can I help you? And I said, yeah, I would like to volunteer here. And he said, volunteer for what? And I said, hey, whatever you got, so <laughs> open for somebody <laughs> to volunteer. And he was like, well, what can you do? And I was like, well, I really like to coach O-line. Um, and I introduced myself. And because New Mexico is, is a small town, kind of. It's a big state, but has small towns everywhere. And there's only two universities in college. I, I, I happened to make a name for myself, so... Once I told him who I was, he knew exactly who I was. And he was like, definitely, uh, you can uh, help us out. And you don't need to volunteer. We're hot. We have a position for you. <laughs> so right away, I was employed. Um, and that gave me a, a, a coaching job. And, you know, and I always say the day is good. God is great. Because during the conversation... Uh, he asked me, what was I doing for work? And I said, nothing. And he said, well, do you have a degree? And I, I took that as, uh, offensive. And I said, well, what do you mean? Of course I got a degree. 
<laughs> and he was like, and you know, and he was like, well, I'm sure you can get a job with the district. And right away I was hot, hired with the district as a counselor and I was coaching football. So for me, my transition wasn't quite as bad as others, but it was also a, 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 a difficult transition. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like yeah, taking the first steps forward, you know, sometimes God God directs your path. You know, that's that's interesting stuff. Hey, Shalimar. Yes. Yeah, it sounds like there like there's a bunch of noise in the background. Like every time you're moving, it's a it's a lot of noise. I mean, I'm not I, I thought it was you, so I'm like being extremely still. Okay, okay, there's something up then. Cause I was sitting here. I, I moved around a little bit. I probably need to sit more still myself. So, okay. Uh, well, just, yeah, just a heads up. So, okay. Keep going here. Um, yeah, sorry. Sometimes that's why, like, that speaker, well, you're not on speakerphone. Anyway, we're good. We're good. <clears throat> well, that that's great stuff, Shalimar. I mean, taking those first few steps, uh, not kind of knowing what you were going to get involved in, and then all of a sudden uh, you're, you're you're right there at the forefront of, working with uh, football and working in the school district. So what was it like for you working there? Were you there a long time? Did you eventually get back to California? What was kind of the process? You know, I was, I was only there for one year. <clears throat> Great season. Um, I ended up uh, ele elevating. We ended up playing for the state champion, uh, state championship, actually. Um, we lost, but it was a great experience. I moved back to California uh, slightly after the season was over. And to start my a family, uh, got married, and that's when I had my children. Um, and, and and shortly after that, uh, I became a football official. Uh, right when I moved back to California, around two thousand four. Uh, yes, I became four. a football official in two thousand four. And and what was the motivation for becoming a football official? Because I mean. You've been you've been as a player. You've now been as a coach, and all of a sudden, uh, was it just the next thing to go into, or was there some other motivating <clears throat> factors? Uh, no, actually, I moved back to California for a coaching job. Um, that unfortunately, I didn't get, and so I was a little bummed out. And um, a buddy of mine, actually, uh, my uncle was a football official at the college level. And he asked me one day, hey, why don't you come to a meeting? Football is going to start. I think you would like it. And I was, and, you know, I was 100% anti being a football official. There was no way <laughs> I could cross the line and be part of the police of the game. <laughs> and so, I, I mean, for a couple of weeks after meeting started, I didn't go. And, and he kept telling me, you know, it's a good way to get on the field. Just come and find out if you like it. And he was like, I'll even give you your first uniform so you won't even have to pay for your first uniform. Just come. So I was like, you know what? What do I got to lose? I'll go give it a try. And the first year officiating, I really did not enjoy the social aspect of it. I really enjoyed the game, the field work, but I didn't enjoy the social aspect. So I really didn't know if I wanted to go back at the end of the season. But as soon as football started rolling around the next year, I couldn't wait to be a football official again. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and that's the honest opinion. I mean, that's the honest uh, story right there. Uh, when it was over, I was like, I ain't doing this shit ever again. I knew I didn't want to do it. 
But as <laughs> soon as football came around, ready to start back up, I was back in the meetings, had my own uniform bought now, had all my own equipment. I was ready to go my second year. Um, and then my second year, I got on a uh, had my first fill in for a varsity game. And then my third year officiating, I was on a crew, um, a varsity crew. So that was uh, <clears throat> a lot of fun. I kind of um, moved through the system pretty rapidly, I thought. Um, uh-huh. I had a good time doing it, um, moving up. And shortly after that, I was in junior college, and um, that's when we kind of met. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We were on a great crew, probably one of the best crews I've ever been on. Uh, it had a lot of personalities, and we hadn't met before. Uh, one of our, our leader, actually, our, our white cap, our, our crew chief, he was actually uh, an L.A. County sheriff, uh, one of the top guys, actually, uh, in, the, uh, you know, in the law enforcement um, pecking order, we'll say. And one of my first memories, actually, of our crew working together was that we were working a game at LA Valley College and we were walking to the locker room and there were these uh, LA County Sheriff's deputies just kind of hanging out, sitting kind of on their car. They were there for security, but there really wasn't anything going on. And they were just kind of hanging out uh, between the field and the locker room. They're just there, you know, just in case or whatever on a Saturday chilling. And our uh, crew chief, our white hat comes walking by He's in his referee uniform with us, and they saw who he was. They jumped up. They snapped to attention, and they were like, you know, oh, uh, commander, commander. Like, they totally changed their <laughs> the way they were sitting around. And I remember you, me, uh, our buddy Alex Carroll, <laughs> we all kind of looked at each other like, man, we, we, got, we got a real, uh, real big timer running our crew here. Uh, and we'd, we'd later find out that, you know, he, where he was ranking pretty much in, in all of L.A. County sheriffs. He was one of the top five guys in the entire command. So that was that was a funny memory, an early memory of you and I working together. Yeah, so it was funny when we were walking by, man, and they looked and saw. You know, Bob uh, saw Bob. They all snapped and saluted, and we were all like, "Wow, we're we're with somebody." So that that was kind of cool to see. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you know what? Like I said, we had we had a great leader at the top running our crew. Uh, you know, you're you're the enforcer in the middle. Uh, I was running. It was me and Alex Carroll, I think, on the same sideline. And AC's a uh, he's very uh, what's the word? He's got an energy about him. Uh, <laughs> a uh, joking manner and then you know of course me stirring things up uh so it it was just a fun group of guys i mean what are some of your memories from that season working together i mean it's probably the best crew i've been on and i've worked with in football and i'm not saying that because we're on this call i'm saying that because of our discipline our work ethic our study um our, our our trust um our hustle um, our respect of the players and the teams, it, it, we, we, our cohesiveness was amazing. Um, I had never worked with another group of guys that really cared so much for the work we did and what, and it wasn't about us and we did it for the, for the game. Um, that was such a great, great season. And it's amazing that you, 
you few guys are the only guys that I still talk to every maybe five years <laughs> are the guys from that crew. Yeah, that's uh, very well put. I mean, you, you work college football long enough and you start to hold up all your crews to, you know, some of your, your best crews. And that year was definitely my most fun time I've ever had on the field because we could just be ourselves. We had different personalities. Uh, Bob let us be. He was a great leader in himself. He wouldn't take anything from anybody, man. If if coaches were acting up, boom, he'd just flag them, man. I was like, oh, man, he's he's got total control out here. You had total control in the middle. I, I got to tell you, Shalimar, I've worked with some great umpires, uh, guys who, who work the middle of the field, for those who don't know uh, what the umpire position is. But uh, a few of my uh, a few of my buddies I've, I've talked to and have enjoyed their work. But I got to tell you, working with you, you were a guy who had total control. Uh, you weren't afraid to uh, mix it up a little bit with the players and let them know not only, hey, uh, we're not screwing around today, but we're going to have some real problems if we do. And it definitely gave me more confidence to run into, uh, you know, piles of players and, and separate guys and even talk, talk a little smack myself knowing that you had my back, all, all six foot four, 250 pounds of you. So uh, <laughs> thank you for that, man. It was a great time. Man, I mean, that was, uh, I think I, I, you, you have to meet intensity with intensity. And I was taught to be a part of the CIA, which is controlled intense aggression. And you, you need that as a football official. You have to be under control, but you have to be intense because the game is intense. And you have to have a little bit of aggression yourself or you'll get swamped out in that field. And I think that you see that. And I, I think that's part of what kind of happened to the game is that the football official is out there so passive is that we're no longer a part of the game. And, and it was just we're, we're out there, I think, just part of the rule, you know, rather than a part of the game. You know, and so that's that's my my two cents. No, that's a very good point. I mean, it's a, it's a big reason I eventually walked away from it is that seeing kind of the direction officials were going and, and not holding myself up to some of the best guys out there or anything, because there's some incredible officials in Southern California, San Diego, L.A. County, Orange County, really good officials that care probably more than I do uh, about a lot of the other things that we had to do off the field and everything. But you're right in the fact that Guys can know the rules. Guys can look sharp. Guys can uh, do all these things that we're required to do off the field. But when it comes down to it, it, it's a ball. It's a snap. It's 22 guys bashing heads. And then the seven of us have to go out there and control it all. So it definitely takes a certain level of intensity. You can't be passive or you're going to be walked all over. And I, I do think there's guys that continue on in that, in, in that business, that line of work and officiating that, don't carry the right amount of intensity. And like you said, it's got to be in control as well. Controlled intensity. And I think overall, that's what football really is. Well, you, you know what I think every great football official have in common, um, like every great player have in common, is that not only they were just, you know, made it to the highest level, they were a part of the game. The player saw them as a part of the game, not just as an administrator of the rules. Like, so when you think of the Garth De Felice, when you think of, you know, the Carries, when you think of, you know, the, the, the Hockley's, you know, the, the, the players respected that not only did the media, but the culture respected the work he put into his body to go out there and work with those guys. Mm -hmm. 
Like you care just as much as about yourself as we do. So we know you're going to give us your all. Like, you know, when you're out there, you're putting your work in. And so not only just, you know, young Hockley, I mean, old Ed Hockley, but young Hockley, Sean, I think when, like, when you have that type of energy and you're giving that type and you're giving yourself to the game, that's when you have greats. And and I really start to see, like you said, it was more of an administration of the game rather than being part of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't tell you uh, in in my head right now of about a really good holding call I had or, uh, you know, uh, a really close uh, pass interference play. I can tell you about memories where uh, a game was about to go sideways on us and uh, officials had to step in and use be a little more forceful or uh, do something or, you know what I mean? Like there was there, I have plenty of those stories of those moments, memories of games, not specific calls or anything. Uh, but uh, so in general, I think, yeah, the, the management of the game is the most important part uh, because if you can't do that right, no one's going to believe you on a holding call or a pass interference or whatever. Right. I, I totally agree. Uh, what, what do you got, a little dog action back there trying to chime in on our, our conversation, Shalimar? Oh, yeah, <laughs> man. That's my uh, year-and-a-half-old English bulldog, Capone. He's like, you know, my second son. No matter if, I'm, if I'm chilling in the man cave, he wants to come see what I'm doing. But uh... Capone, that's a great name, man. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> that's great stuff well well shalimar you worked uh community college you worked division three we worked together at those levels you also worked in the uh, great northwest athletic conference the gnac which is division two you worked there for a couple years and then pretty much uh kind of like a lot of us your, your football career for now anyway uh we'll say uh you decided to move on and and you know what i'm sure you had some good times and some good memories but Kind of what were some of the reasons for you that you decided to kind of move on from it after being a part of it for so long? And similarly, was it tough walking away from that like it was when you were a player? Uh, actually, no, it wasn't tough walking away because I, I, I was an adult now. And so and I was making my decisions solely on my decisions mm-hmm. only um, of what I felt like I needed to do in my life at the time. And so that's when, you know, things are most important. For me, the reason for walking away from football was a no-brainer. Um, I was going through a divorce, and it was at a time where I felt I needed to spend all my free time or available time with my children if we weren't going to be under the same home. And so with the travel and the study time or the like, the, camp, the camps or you know all those things, I didn't have, I didn't feel like that time was more valuable than, you know, hanging out or coaching or seeing fall ball or making practices or things like that. So I chose to step away from football and I didn't regret it. I miss it. Um, but I, I, I get to see sports through my children now. And so that's, that's actually extremely delightful. So um, that's been amazing. Yeah, I think family first is is the only way to go. And so much of time gets put into officiating. I don't think people realize that y- you do need to separate football from family, uh, you know, in different time time periods. I mean, when your kids are starting to be a little older 
and go on their own journey, you definitely want to be a part of that. So I, I applaud you for, for doing that. I, I don't see it all the time from officials. Some guys, they, they just, they stick with this stuff and they miss out on a lot from their kids. But uh, I, I don't think uh, any of that is worth it. I mean, you, you got to be there for your kids and watch them go through their am amazing moments because that's what it's all about, man. So again, I applaud you. I mean, you know, for me, a lot of guys haven't had the opportunities that I've had in life already in athletics. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I, I felt like, I honestly felt like it would have been a little selfish of me. That's not me moving. So, you know, <laughs> uh, but anyway, I felt like it would have been a little selfish of me to continue to hold on. I'm going to go on speaker. Sorry. Hold, hold on, hold you're on, good, please. you're good. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. How's that? Very good. Sounds great. All right. So I felt like it would be a little selfish of me to continue to pursue some of my activities when I know that I'm missing out on my children's and I've already pursued football at very high levels. Um, and I was, I was still a young man, and I'll have plenty of time if I choose to be a football official um, to go back and, and officiate, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? Uh, they're, they're growing fast, so I'm sure time will pass fast. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to do some great things. I just know it. And, you know, if there's still time to get back into it, I, I know you'll do great things yourself. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm at a place in my life where I'm ready to, uh, I don't want to say give up on all these sports officiating, but you know what? I've had a good run myself. It's time to look for something a little more stable and to go on a new journey. And if I could circle back and get back in it, well then, Hey, it, it's, uh, you know, God's will to do it all. And, and we'll see what happens. Well, well, Shalimar, you, you got out of officiating, um, while you were officiating, you were working as a supervisor for child protective services um and, and kind of what was the the motivation and the journey to kind of get involved in that line of work uh you know while you were officiating i mean that's a pretty that's a pretty intense uh atmosphere i gotta imagine so tell me about what all that was like um actually i was uh doing in-home counseling and therapy prior to that and i saw the opportunity to move into uh um uh, CPS and, and, and child removals and things like that um, as a protective service worker. And it was, uh, it was, it, it was interesting because I've always wanted to be of some type of help, you know, or some type of assistance or, um, or just be available, you know, mm -hmm. and, and this gave me an opportunity to see what this quote unquote system was like. Mm -hmm. you know and and how is it for others and how is it how is it ran and i'll be the first to tell you without the system i think the world would be a terrible place you know and so i think that it's very there's a lot of misconceptions and i think it's a beautiful thing and it's very helpful for people um out there who need it and um i'm the first to stand by it and it, it, it's, it's it has its moments you know it has its heartfelt moments 
I can tell you one of the most uh, heartfelt moment was for me when a father came and checked his children into uh, the, 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 the actual center and wanted to check himself into the hospital because that day he lost his wife and his mother-in-law. And he was like, I just don't know what to do. And, and, and that's heartbreaking, you know? And that's what the system is for, for that type of assistance. But that doesn't get, you know, newsworthy or neither will, you know, the system publicize that to get a pat on the back because that's what the system's there for. You know, and a lot of people don't know that. Um, or just taking in refugees. Like there's multiple kids who come into the country, um, not just, you know, at the border, but they come in and they need a place to be. So what would... And that's the job I did. Okay, okay. And so you did that for quite a few years, right, before uh, uh, moving into uh, the San Diego County Sheriff. So uh, I didn't realize you talked about kind of a lateral transfer from there. Uh, what was that? Was it just a better opportunity for you? Or did you kind of just want to move on from what you were doing? You talked about the system being, uh, you know, a good thing there. But did you just kind of put uh, more time there than you wanted and wanted to try something else? Or tell me about kind of that transition. Um, honestly, that was just more of uh, I was not really enjoying um, some of the personalities that I work with, and that was uh, there's not much that you can do except for look for op uh, different opportunities within the system, and so that was an opportunity that I was qualified for, and I wanted to take the leap, and it just so happened that I was qualified for the lateral into. Um, the sheriff's department and i i can't say that i can say that it's been one of the best decisions that i've made i really enjoy working for the sheriff's department and, and how does because because i assume it's ignorant to it all i probably am ignorant to it all but i thought you know you had to kind of go to uh a, an academy and, and spend the time there but you were able to because of of your uh, previous work, you were able to just lateral on over without having to kind of go through those other details? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't work on in the streets. I'm not a... Okay. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, so the, the sheriff's department is kind of made up of... It's called a paraprofessional, uh, military paraprofessional employment. So it's kind of made up like the military. How if you went into the Marines or any type of service department, everyone's not a frontliner, you know, and everyone's not you know, driving a tank or everyone. So you have different professions within the sheriff's department that if you qualify for that, you may or may not have to go to the academies for. Mm. Okay. That's interesting. So what is kind of, as a re-entry supervisor now, what are kind of some of your your uh, current uh, job tasks that you have to do? You said you love it. You love where you're at right now. What is kind of your, uh, your daily, weekly, uh, yearly, what does it all look like for you? Uh, with this new job that you're doing? Well, I build programs within the jail. Um, I have teams that I work with within the reentry division. Um, and we basically, we do all of anything that has to do with anybody coming in and out of the jails, um, working with programming given um, between cognitive behavior therapy to bringing in different providers in order to do different educational materials to chaplain services to professional visits to you name it if it operates in the jail or moves within the jail um i have to know what's going on 
Okay. It, and let me ask you this question. I mean, uh, you know, jail, being around jails, that, that's that got to be – you have a certain mentality when you're going into that. So, I mean, is it difficult to kind of be around kind of that negative situation day in and day out? Or do you are you able to kind of look at it with a different – uh, with different glasses, I'll say, than maybe what other people think of jail, just because you know that you are assisting in in the operation there. I mean, I guess, you know, for the media and the outside world, jail has a real negative uh, connotation, you know, and I think it's some of the lowest part of someone's life if you're in jail. <laughs> but I also think that jail provides a lot of unseen opportunities for people who haven't had opportunities in the community like maybe uh, to complete your GED or start some college or learn a trade or seek some type of employment or different things like that. So I think that a lot of the uh, unknown and the ignorance of what goes on inside of a jail um, and you're only shown the worst of what can happen. And when you go, I'm not saying you should go. I don't think anyone should go there. No, I think, uh, you know, and I'm not saying everyone should be released. No. But I'm also saying that there's also when people do make mistakes and they go there, and I believe that everyone in society is a mistake away from going to jail. No one's immune. Um, and that you, you, when you get there, you have to find, you know, what the opportunities are like anything else in life. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's a rehabilitation, right? So it doesn't have, like you said, it doesn't have to be the end of something. It could be the beginning of something. It could be the beginning of turning your life around. And it sounds like with some of the programs and opportunities that are there, that's exactly what some people are taking advantage of. I mean, 100%. And that's a good, I mean, that's, that's always the positive spin. You know what I mean? And we can spin it that way and we can keep it that way. Um, but then there's also the problem of, you know, uh, uh, of mass incarceration, you know, why people are coming to jail, you know, that's whole other issues, you know, so we got to continue to work on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, would you say, Shalimar, you made a great point just now and how no one's immune to going to jail like that. We're one mistake away from doing that, no matter what it is. Uh, so, I mean, do you think, I mean, do you think we're making more mistakes out there? Do you think uh there's a reason more people are kind of headed in that direction is it does it start in the home does it start in the communities like what what would you say are kind of some of the biggest uh reasons that that uh i don't know the jails are are, are where oh, a lot of people end up is it just not leadership i mean uh, obviously if you do something wrong you do something stupid obviously that's where somebody goes but what can you speak on to just the the amount of people that end up in jail um, my honest and professional opinion is over-policed, over-populated communities. I mean, you know, if you have a police officer riding up and down the street in La Jolla, um, those community members are going to call the mayor or call that police department and tell them, get that police out of their neighborhood, and you won't see that. That won't happen in a lower SES community or an ethnic community. Mm -hmm. Like that police officer will ride up and down that street all day long and for whatever reason. And so it's just... It's, it's a huge economic imbalance of where the policing is. It's not that it's more crime in that area. It's more saturated. As well as, you know, when you call um, crime or ethnic crime or label crime, you have a propensity of targeting certain areas. And so, you know, and a lot of people like to use the term black on black, which I believe, and I say this openly, that there's no such thing as black on black crime. 
if there's a such thing as black on black crime, there has to be a such thing as white on white crime or Mexican on Mexican crime or Asian on Asian crime because um, black people don't commit mass shootings. So, I mean, that's called a tragedy or a crime. So if, if a different ethnic group commit a crime, it's just a crime. It's not, you know, it's just a crime against humanity. It's not, it's not a color. And when we continue to use a color, we incriminate a color, and that happens to be a propensity of just making a predator. Yeah, I, I do think that there is a, a too big of an emphasis on race uh, a, a lot of times with crimes. I, I mean, I, if, if someone does something wrong, it, it shouldn't matter what their color is. I mean, uh, if it's a white person, Correct. you know what I mean? Wrong. Correct. That, that's what we're, that's what we're learning. Oh, go ahead. Wrong is wrong. Yes. You know, there's, there's, there's no um, degree in the dictionary of race, color, or creed. You know, crime is crime, and, you know, and justice is supposed to be blind, um, but it's not, you know, and, and, and I can say it firsthand. Yeah, I, I just don't, uh, you know, every time there's a murder, it's almost like, okay, well, well, what were what were the races of the shooter and of the victim? And it's like, well, why is that relevant? Like, somebody just died. Someone just got killed. Like, uh, right. it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. You, we, the thing is that I hate, Shalimar, is that things, kind of like you mentioned, are spun into these other issues. And it's like, wait a minute. We're not focusing on the crime that occurred. We're focusing on some other elements because that makes things more attractive or something. I just, I, you know, I don't understand that. And you make, you know, you make some points that, you know, other people on this program haven't said or, or, uh, you know, bring up. And, and so it's, it's an interesting uh, outlook on things for sure. Uh, I, I will say that uh, as far as crime goes, yeah, I don't, I don't care if it's black on black, white on white, you know, any Asian on Asian, it, it doesn't matter. Someone is, is dead. Someone dies or is robbed or whatever the case is. Like wrong is wrong and crime is crime. And I just wish we, we could all agree on that. But unfortunately, I don't think we do. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. So, well, well, Chalabar, I mean, kind of as we kind of wrapping up here soon, but what, what are some of your thoughts on, you know, law enforcement today? In today's world, the perception of law enforcement is, is so negative. I mean, uh, you, you work in the jails, you work in San, with the San Diego County Sheriff's. I mean, we've been around this uh, merry-go-round many times here the past few months. Uh, it seems like everyone wants to make it one side or the other. And it's like, wait a minute, it's not about one side or the other. To me, it's like you could support uh, all kinds of different people. You don't have to pick sides. Like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say exactly, but uh, hopefully you kind of get what I'm saying. So what are your thoughts on just in general what the past few months have been like, the perception of law enforcement, of police, and, and just, you know, as, as, as civilians too, I think, if we're going to be critical of the police, which I think a lot of people have, I think we got to be critical of each other too. As a civilian, I'm not a police officer, but I, but I'm but I'm a civilian, and I know that we got to hold ourselves accountable as well. So, kind of, what are your general thoughts with my long-winded question there? I mean, no, that that, that was well put. I mean, I just really think that um, there there is no such thing as pick side. So, um, I have this thing Agreed. that I've been saying it. I've been saying it often. Nobody is ever mad at the fire department. Nobody throws rocks at the fire department during all these uh, 
either riots or protests. Nobody was protesting the fire department. The fire department is supposed to be the, the police department is supposed to be the same exact entity as the fire department, except the protective serve exact same thing. And so I think that I think as a whole, um, people is joining the force in order to have power um, and and some leadership give you power. I think we have really good leadership in our sheriff's department. I can honestly say that. I think we have really great leadership. Um, I think there's individual people who make poor decisions. Um, and I think you have that in every profession. And I think it's highlighted because it's, it's more so of the historics and the, and the economics and the systemic racism that go back hundreds and hundreds of years that is continuing to not be addressed. And I think that has more of the issues today, if those things would be addressed of why jails, why prisons, why these things are created in the first place and why, you know, the percentages are so skewed, um, I think that those conversations need to be had in order to, for us to move forward today. Like, you know, and, and what I mean by that, and this is a long-winded answer, is that, you know, prisons weren't created and jails weren't created until slavery was abolished. I mean, you know, and so you understand if people are, are being released from slaves and you just made laws that it's illegal for you to learn to read or get a job or plant your own food or really do anything. But now that you're free, so everything that you do is illegal and you go, you, now you got to go to jail. And by going to jail, you can be leased right back out to your slave owner like that. And that's continued to today's process. Not saying that today's prisoners are leased out to slave owners, but Free labor is free labor. Um, it is what it is. So are, are you then saying, Shalimar, that, uh, you know, everyone that is arrested or a high percentage of people that are arrested are, are uh, how do I say this, are, are being arrested just to fulfill some quotas or it's not because they commit crimes? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that some things are, I think, I, I I cannot say that. I think there's crimes out there being committed 100%. But I think they're unproportionately being distributed and being um, prosecuted at the same time. Okay. Okay. So what exa- Okay. What do you mean? Uh, pro- so you're saying some crime gets ignored because it doesn't fit uh, a description of someone or, you know what I'm saying? As far as you just said, prosecuted. So, um, I mean, a crime, a crime may be ignored or, or lesser prosecuted due to your skin color or your economic background sometimes. I mean, and that's not proportionate to society. Um, and that's and, and that's what I'm saying is that due to the, 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 the distance between the economics proportions and people that and I'm not saying you know, I'm not one of those people to say, yeah, you need to just give people money because that doesn't solve a problem. But opportunities, I know that when I put my name down for a job as Shalimar Jackson, you know who's coming in rather than a Matt Hersema. Like, you know, and so that's, those are two different things. Like this, it, it, it really is, it's, it's difficult to um, understand, but it's, um, it's hard, it's, it's very easy for me to understand because it's life every day. I give you a perfect example. Some of my colleagues asked, why, like, you know, while, um, you know, the culture of what's going on in society today, how do I feel about it? And I say, you know, I, I really don't know how to answer that question because when I leave work, you know, I'm still a black man, you know, it doesn't matter. And when I go home, 
I can't walk in my neighborhood by myself if I'm stressed out. I better have my dog with me or my kids, or I'm a suspicious man. If I'm walking with my kids or my dog, I'm a nice guy in the neighborhood because I, I have a nice looking dog or I have my kids or I'm a dad. Um, if I'm just walking in my neighborhood, I mean, it's like, what am I doing walking? You know, and that's unacceptable. Okay, I get what you're saying there. Yeah, so you think that, I mean, with, with for example, walking in your neighborhood, I mean, one thing I had a friend talk to me about, uh, kind of like with all this tension going on, right? If if uh, he, he mentioned to another friend, like, uh, it's been the first time where I've really wondered if, uh, if someone doesn't like me, whether it just be standing in a grocery line or, or whatever. And the friend he was talking to was like, yeah, that's kind of how things feel, uh, you know, every day in, in my shoes type of a thing. So I think it was definitely a valid conversation that they started to have. But but to me, Shalimar, here's here are my thoughts. If people are going to have these, what are, what are your thoughts on how certain stereotypes, prejudice, whatever you want to call it, you're walking in your neighborhood and you feel that everyone in your neighborhood, maybe not all, but some of them are going to draw their own conclusions and, and maybe make a, an un, uh, what's the word I want to use? You know, a, they're going to try to stir something up or make something out of nothing just by perception something that doesn't mean any, you know, you're, you're not doing anything. You're just going out walking. So how do you change people's viewpoints with stuff like that? Because I know that I'm not going to sit here and say there's not extreme stupid people in this world. There are uh, in this country specifically, you know, I can't sit here and say racism doesn't exist. It, it obviously does. I mean, but what are some of your thoughts about, about ways that, you, that to change a perception? I mean, what, is it just uh, there's going to be some ignorant people and you just got to deal with them or, you know, or is it just going to be what are some steps that can be uh, taken by everyone, really, just to be more aware of, of some of those feelings that you just expressed? I mean, it's only my job to educate you if you want to have the conversation. It's not your ignorance is yours, bro. You got to own that. So it's not um, I don't think it's our job as people to continue to do that i think that education is out there and i think people choose to be blind i think people choose to have their choices i mean we make choices and we got to live with them and if you're not willing to uh open up and uh and be honest with yourself you know that's on you as a as a, as a people so um I'm, I'm all for the uh, conversation and I'm open with it and I don't really get emotional about it unless it's, you know, targeted or degrading. But if people are open to have open conversations and just discussions, I think that's where it starts. Um, but most people hide behind, you know, and, and I know a lot of people, when you say privilege or things like that, I, I'm, articulate, I'm articulate enough to explain what it is. Most people isn't. They just hide behind the language and can say it. And they approach someone who's more articulate than them or can explain their views better and they feel like it's different. But I, I, I beg to differ. And so it's, it's more or less like, 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 like you said, I let people like bake in their own ignorance, bro. It's not my job to teach you anything. You're, you're breaking up a little there, Shalimar. Are you, did you move away from the – I don't want to – No. There you go. No, I'm still right here. I okay. said, uh, you know, I honestly feel it's not my job to teach people anything. You know, I, I, it's your job to bake in your own ignorance, you know, and and, and and that's how I honestly feel. 
Yeah, I hear you. I hear what you're saying, man. I mean, I've we, when we work games together, you know, uh, we obviously all we all look different. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting to me when conversation comes up about, uh, you know, this is one thing that that you you want to see. You want people to be colorblind, and then other people say, "Well, no, don't be colorblind." So that's kind of like I, I don't I don't look at you, for instance, as like you're oh you, you know you're 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 a you're a black friend. You know, you're a friend. Like that's at least that's, <laughs> you know that that's my that, that's how I see things or whatever. But I know that not everybody else does see see things that way. But like you know we we work ball games and uh, you know we had Alex Carroll who's a Hispanic dude and we had I'm trying to think who else was on that crew. Uh, Mickey Edwards who's man is about yeah. a bunch. Oh dude, that R- dude's R- Ralph. Oh, Ralph Aranda. There you go. Across the way, how can I forget? Uh, so a lot of different personalities, people from different backgrounds. And, and I guess that's one thing I can always appreciate about officiating is it's coming together from different backgrounds and working a game. And nobody cares about when there's when the play is messed up. Nobody cares or should they care about, you know, what race the official was when a call is messed up. No one cares. They, they want the call right. You know, if, if yeah, get it right, man. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it, it doesn't – I don't know. If we want to get stuff right in the country, I, I think we do got to have some conversations that are uncomfortable. And we talked about not having sides. Well, I think whatever uh, – there are extreme sides everywhere, right, and a bunch of us just kind of fall in in all these different places. They're not real sides. I, you know, we got to all work together one way or another, and, and we got to hear each other out because I know that uh, th- there are rebuttals for everybody's comments, everybody's education. You know, I don't have all the answers by any means. I'm just talking, and uh, you know, I shake my head every day at some of the things I see, Shalomar man, because it's just it's frustrating. It's frustrating out there because no one wants to listen to each other, or so it seems to me. But well, are you surprised? Is the question. Not not so much. You know what? Uh, you know why I'm not surprised? Because you made a great point about 30 minutes ago about not being on social media. I think social media has changed the world. Uh, I would like to say it was it was more positive than good. But at this point, I don't know, man. I mean, it's done some great things. But man, social media, it, it, uh, it's good that it gives everyone a voice, but it's also bad that it gives everyone a voice, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? Like, Everyone thinks they're an expert now, and uh, it's just, man, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm uh, seconds away but, from deleting all my stuff, too. But it's your choice to read it or be involved in it. Like, I just not – the reason why I don't have it is because I don't want to be involved in your stuff. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I have enough of my own, like, and I'm not <laughs> – and I'm not into having you involved in my stuff like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like close friends and family and like, that's fine, but I'm just not into that. Um, I thought it was cool initially when it came out, like, you know, and stuff like that, but I really wasn't into it. And I found like it was more destructive than helpful. So I'm really into uh real life. That's what I call it. I'm not, I mean, I'll share the things that I, with the people I love. And the people that are interested in my life on a daily basis that impact that. Other than that, I'm not into uh, everything else, bro. No, I hear you, man. And and you know what? Like like this conversation. Look at we look at. I, I told a bunch of people who've come on here. It's like, well, what are we gonna talk about? I'm like, dude, we can talk about whatever you want. I am I am open to talk about whatever. Uh, everyone's entitled to share an opinion, and they're just opinions. Like 
we don't all have to agree on our opinions. I mean, it'd be nice if we heard each other out a little bit more. But, man, at the end of the day, they're, they're just opinions. And you know what? We all have opinions based off of our life experience, right? So, man, again, we don't have to agree on everything, Shalimar, but, uh, but I'm glad that, you know, you're here, that, that came on the program, that we could talk and have a conversation. Uh, and at the man, at the end of the day, at the end of every day, be, be good friends, man. Like you said earlier, uh, what'd you say? The day is good. God is great. I love that. Oh man. I, I live that because, uh, I mean, like you said, good friends, you, you gotta have that. I mean, okay. and that's important to me and, um, and they gotta be reliable and the people you keep around you, they gotta be, you know, your friends. Definitely, man. Well, I'd, uh, let's not wait another five years before we uh, we talk to each other or see each other. And I, I think, uh, you know, again, you send me texts every now and then about what the kids are doing. I think that's great stuff. Uh, man, keep doing the good work you're doing in the in the jails. And uh, yeah, my best to everyone, man. I hope everyone stays safe and continues to do great things, man. All righty, buddy. Talk to you in a minute, Matt. Appreciate All right. You. you got it, Shalimar. Take care, brother. All right. Once again, another thank you to my good friend, Shalimar Jackson. It was a pleasure catching up with you, man. And yeah, let's not wait another five years or however long it's been until we catch up. It'll be great to see you, whether it's down in the San Diego area or you coming up north of the 15 a little bit. Whatever we got to do, let's get together soon. Chat, have some fun, share some memories. Just uh, have a great conversation and, sh- and have some great laughs like we always do. Shalimar, thanks again, man, and my best to the family kids are growing fast and my best wishes to them uh, as they move forward as well thank you so much for coming on the program my friend well guys tomorrow is wednesday so we will be joined again by bill barnes on the weekly wednesday weigh-in from the retired police officer and retired college baseball umpire very good friend of mine he's on the program every single wednesday he comes on to talk about some of the uh current events and some of his very random thoughts that have been going on i do have a story to tell you with bill barnes on wednesday that we will share if he's willing to talk about it and i think he will it's something that happened uh recently Uh, with Bill. For those of you who follow him on social media, you might know what I'm talking about, but uh, I'll let him talk about it tomorrow. I don't want to get into it too much, but we will tease it a little bit. Hopefully, hopefully you guys tune in tomorrow uh, to listen to Bill Barnes. Again, he's here every single Wednesday. He's our only weekly guest. He's here. He's been with us a long time. You know, Bill and I have done, I think, 15 episodes now. uh, And so that's just hard to believe, but Again, he's here every single Wednesday, and we would not have it any other way. Love him or hate him, Bill Barnes is here every single week on the Weekly Wednesday Weigh-In. Well, I will continue to talk about this as well as promote our social media, uh, the different uh, platforms that you can listen to the get home safe podcast but if you listen to us through the anchor app and even if you don't listen to us through the anchor app you just want to take part and join in on the discussion join in in the conversation if you want to use the anchor app you can go to our uh, website our, or i should say our podcast on the anchor website or the app you can go to the very top click where it says message you can leave a voice message 10 seconds 30 seconds however long you want ask a question bring up a topic suggest uh, some content whatever you want to do you want to be a part of the uh, the show it's a great way to do it 
We've only had one taker so far, so I'm going to continue to push it, uh, see who wants to chime in and, and join in with the discussion. Much like a caller show, caller-in show with some of the local sports talk or uh, other talk radio that happens uh, around the country. We don't have that ability, but we do have an opportunity to leave a voice message. I can play that voice message and then answer those questions or suggestions directly. Uh, it could be a lot of fun uh, if we get some people involved. Again, if it's one person who does it, cool. And if it's multiple people who does it, well, that would be great also. But it's an option, so I want to continue to talk about it. As always, you can follow the Get Home Safe podcast through many different social media platforms. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod, and our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. At yeah, man, I did it again. I did this yesterday, guys. I, I I get ahead of myself. Let me try that one more time. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast, and our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at Yahoo. You think I have it figured out by now. Uh, Here we are in almost our 85th show. But anyway, those are our social media platforms. Be sure to check that out for any uh, new content, any updated information that we might have as far as who's upcoming on the program. We usually put out a picture and a short description of who's coming on the night before. We also provide you uh, any information and some, you know, many, a few pictures here and there of our studio uh, if you want to contact us, you can do that, whether it be an email or something through social media. If you don't want to do the voice message thing, however you want to reach out to us, we love hearing from you. So if you do so, those are your options. Thank you all for, for all the listeners out there, whether you listen through Apple or Spotify or iTunes, whatever you listen to us on, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, go ahead and add us to one of your favorites. Uh, if you're on the Anchor app, if you're on iTunes or all these other places, Apple, if you can rate us, I don't know how, exactly how that all works. I'm being honest, but I hear other people say that. So any feedback is uh, very, very appreciated, guys. We can't have a show without you. We have a lot of listeners now. The show continues to grow. We are shortly approaching 5,000 plays of, of all of our shows dating back to when this started in January. I could not be more proud of that. Our estimated audience has gone up significantly, so we're having some more listenership too. And and, and all our episodes, again, some episodes continue to get uh, plays and listens. Uh, I know there's kind of a fight right now with our top five episodes of of some uh, total plays, we should say. I've sent that out to a few of the people who are involved who've been on these interviews. Uh, We've had, uh, I think, over five people now who came on the program and have now had over a hundred plays each. So I can update uh, you guys on that if you're curious, but again, go back, check out any episode you want from the get home safe podcast. Bill Barnes is here every single Wednesday. He's back here again tomorrow for us. So you're going to see a lot of Bill Barnes on those previous episodes, but we have a lot of great people that we have interviewed over these past couple months to catch up on a lot of different things, whether it be Rihondo prep grads, uh, football officials, baseball officials, college uh, umpires, uh, minor league umpires just just a lot of different people we've had an interview with them uh the the brew major league baseball milwaukee brewers radio announcer he was one of our earlier guests we've had firefighters law enforcement we've had uh, a guy a west point graduate we've had united states marines we've had a lot of different people on this program and that's a tribute to the many great listeners we have out there uh, we, we bring as many of them on as we can anyone interested in coming on we'd love to have you so reach out to us on those various social media platforms 
any, at any time you'd like. We look forward to Bill Barnes tomorrow. Shalimar Jackson, thanks again for being on the program. It was great talking to you. I have talked enough today, guys. So I will wrap it up <laughs> with another episode of the Get Home Safe podcast. So guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. Thank you.